You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our senior pastor, Jeremy Havlick. Today we're wrapping up a series called It Will Be Different, and we've been talking about the culture that we believe God wants us to have as a church and also getting a chance to share with you the direction of where we are going as a church. And so today's message is a little bit different. It's more of explaining to you the next step for us as a church. And I wanna invite you to come back next week. Matt's gonna be back. We're gonna be starting a brand new series called The Way, The Truth, and The Life. And it's gonna be our series that leads us up to Easter where we get a chance to celebrate Jesus. Jesus made seven different I am statements, things that he talked about who he was. He said that he was... I, I am the resurrection and the life. You could go and interested in all those things, but one of the I am statements he said is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we're gonna get a chance to explore that in the next couple of weeks, starting next Sunday. Well, today, again, as I'm gonna wrap up in this message, I'm gonna start by saying this. As Renovation Church, we feel like we have the clarity to know where we are going. And church is a massive deal. And the reason why church is a massive deal is because as Christians, We have something so significant. We have the gospel. This idea that the creator of everything wants to redeem all of us and to transform us and to take our story and to mold it into something new, into something different. This gospel is so significant. And we, the church, not a service, but a people, carry this inside of us because somewhere along the way, God redeemed us. And we believe that in the way that God redeemed us, that he has that same power to go out and to redeem others. And when you see that gospel play out in different environments and in different ways, it's absolutely incredible. One of the ways that I've seen it play out, my wife and I were, we went down to Nicaragua where we lived for five years and we started a missions organization called One by One. And while we were down there, we had a kids program that we launched on Saturday mornings. And the idea was, to reach out and love kids and then to partner with Nicaraguan churches to help them build incredible kids programs and teenage programs in their churches. And so God opened up these incredible doors. We had this amazing facility right in the capital of Nicaragua, which is Managua. And in there on Saturday mornings, we would open the doors to this massive space. And when we launched, we had several hundred kids that would come every week. And We partnered with different ministries in the area and we had different people who God had transformed their lives and redeemed, different workers who would come in and would serve with us. And I'll never forget one of the ways that I saw the gospel play out in one of our Saturday morning programs. Now, to give you some understanding, when we opened the doors to the buildings of the church, we had kids that came, when I say from rough backgrounds, I'm talking like things that would be hard to imagine. From living on the streets to not knowing where they're gonna sleep every night to just unbelievably broken situations. And we would open the doors of the church and have a moment in which we would love on them and care for them and present Jesus to them. And it was incredible. And in one of these things, we noticed that for a while we had this girl and we're guessing she was probably roughly about seven years old, maybe eight at the most. And when she came, we would have buses that would go and pick up kids in different neighborhoods and invite them to come. And we would load the buses up and they would bring in. And we would, seriously, we would have like, three to 500 kids on a Saturday morning. I mean, it was just everywhere. We would play and love and care for them and do different things. And this girl, she was seven or eight, and she was coming with her clearly younger brother who was, I don't know, maybe three. 
And when they would come to church, you could see that they lived not, I mean, she was wearing the same clothes every week and she was dirty and her younger brother had a pair of shorts, no, no shirt, and the shorts were too big for him and he was holding the shorts up with a shoestring. And immediately, like, heartstrings get pulled. And you were watching this and, and, and we were having our service and we would sit the boys and girls down differently and we would do competitions between boys versus girls. It's one of the ways we try to keep their attention. And she would have her brother, even though she was in the girl section, sit with her because she was protective over him. And I'll never forget while I'm doing the message one time where it's like all interactive to try, to try and present this Jesus to them. Right in the middle of the message, he gets up, drops his pants, and just starts peeing everywhere. And like, you know, you're in a different environment. By the way, don't do that here. There's bathrooms back there. Like that's, we have a safety team. They will come and tackle you. But in this environment, it just, it just starts peeing everywhere. And I'm watching from the stage and we get workers to come and they help clean up the situation. And I'm watching the other kids start making fun of him. And one of the workers, her heart just began to break. And so she, she pulled them aside and, and we got the kids to stop saying anything about him. And, we, 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 and she pulls them aside and just starts loving on this girl who clearly was in charge of her brother at an age of seven or eight years old, and this little boy, and clear, I mean, just like horrific situation. And, and after service was over and, and they went back to where they were, she said, you know what? I wanna do something about this. And so she goes and she, she goes to the people that she knows and she begins to take up a collection of clothes and toys and she gets shampoo and she gets soap. Now here's the thing about this person. When, when she was serving with us, this person was roughly 18 years old. When she was 13, her family forced her into prostitution. Her grandmother did. And somewhere, the gospel came into her life and said, you don't have to live like this anymore. Jesus is able to redeem your life. She got out of that life, was transformed, started going to school. When she was like 15 years old, she was in like the fourth grade because she just hadn't gone to school. Now she's 18 and she's watching this play out. And in this situation, she sees this, she goes back and she says, I'm gonna do something about this. The following Saturday morning, service opens up and we're wondering, are they gonna be back? Sure enough, here comes the sister, here comes the brother, same clothes as last week. And here you have this 18 year old woman who has her own horrific story, but then Jesus somehow interjected himself into her life and her life begins to get transformed. And as service starts, she says, I have some things for you. And, and, and she takes them into the bathroom and she says, do you mind if I wash you? And takes their, like the sink and just starts washing the hair and combing it and says, I have some gifts. I have some clothes for you. And after she washes and cleans these, these kids, she gets these clothes out and then she gets these toys out and she says, you are so precious and loved. What Jesus did in my life, he can do in yours. That's the gospel. The gospel is this idea that no one is beyond redemption. That despite how dark it can be, that somewhere light can interject itself and bring hope into hopeless situations. And guess what the mechanism that God uses to do this is? It's the church. 
And my heartbreaking thing is that we've made the church a service on a Sunday morning. Sunday morning matters tremendously. You know why it matters? Because it's the coming together of the church. But when we make Sunday morning the church, you can come attend and then go live your life like, like you want to live it. But no, you are the church and you and I, as God has worked in us, has called us to be this light into the world, into places where there is brokenness. And by the way, you don't have to go to Nicaragua to find it. You could go a minute from here. You could even be in here. And there's anxiety, there's insecurity, there's depression. There are thoughts of not wanting to make it. Just, it's, it's the world in which this gospel message of redemption and transformation. So when I say church matters, we have the thing that matters more than anything else out there, a message of hope in a hopeless world. This is a big deal. So the question is, how do we navigate this? How do we take this message into the world? How do we be the church that God's asked us to be? That's why our strategy is so significant because we believe that God has given us a plan for how to do it. So here's a recap on last week real quick. Part one of our strategy, and this is last week's recap, is that we believe that God is doing something significant in the local environment. We believe in local churches. When Renovation Church and, and when Edge joined Renovation Church and we launched this thing, you didn't see me on a video screen from Simpsonville. And do you know why? Because we sent some amazing leaders to help lead over here. We wanted what God to do in Greenville to be done locally. You didn't even know who I was for a long time. And now I'm gonna leave, you're gonna forget who I am. And do you know what? I absolutely love that. Because I love the leadership in I love the leadership in Greenville. I love you and believe in you. I cheer you on. And so we believe what God's doing in a local place. So how are we gonna grow small? That's our strategy is grow small. And what do we mean by that? That's, I kind of skipped ahead. We mean that we wanna do some, we believe in what God's doing in a local environment. So there's two things that we're gonna do to grow small and what we believe God wants to do in our church. And this is gonna happen at any place that's a renovation church. Number one is we're gonna embrace a clear discipleship pathway. If we do anything as a church, my prayer is to give you the tools to know that you can be plugged into Jesus yourself. That Sunday morning is not the only time where you hear God's word. That Sunday morning is not the only time where you worship him. That Sunday morning is not the only time where you experience prayer. I want you to know something. You can walk with God every day. You can navigate life plugged into the vine. So our main job, one of our main things we wanna do is to create a pathway that's very clear where you take these steps and if you take these steps, you're gonna have a great idea of how to actually follow Jesus. The second thing we're gonna to do to grow small is we're gonna plant local churches. So there's two renovation churches now. We believe that God is gonna open the door for us to have more. And our strategy isn't to come together and have one big church. You know what our strategy is? To plant churches. To create environments just like this where people can come together and know each other. You know what the prayer is, is this, is that when you're in an environment, listen, okay, I'm just gonna talk for a second. When church is a Sunday morning that you just attend, it's easy to get in and out, to not know people around you and for them not to know you. And do you know what happens? You don't have a community of people who you actually can call you on your stuff. You know one of the things that you need sometimes is someone to look at you and be like, you're being a moron. Like you, are, you need that in your life. We all need someone to love us enough to be like, what the heck are you doing? I promise you as a pastor, I need this all the time in my life. And you also need people around you who can come and say, hey, listen, we love you and believe what God is doing in your life. 
And when, when, when something becomes a place where you just attend, you missed out on one of the vital aspects of what being the church is, the ecclesia, ready? It's the coming together of like-minded people who are following Jesus. And when you do this together with other people, and you're not just coming into a crowd, but you're coming into a family, that's why we want local churches. We don't want the crowd, we want the family. And so as we grow, what we don't wanna have happen is this, is that we become a crowd. What we wanna have is as we grow, we wanna create more families. And then what happens is this, just like in a family environment, you have cousins. Maybe have the same last name as you, but just a little bit different. We're gonna have a bunch of cousins in our family. We're all gonna have the same last name. We're all gonna have the same branding over us. Maybe slight little variations, but guess what? We're all part of the same family. And just like if you've seen, this is a horrible reference, I probably shouldn't use it anyway, but uh, National Lampoon's Family Vacation. You know how family sometimes gets along and doesn't get along. Every one of us has a cousin Eddie somewhere. This is the worst illustration I've ever used. It's a good thing this is not streaming live. <laughs> Don't act like you haven't seen the movie. You're not so spiritual and righteous. I know you've seen it. Yeah, uh-huh. So we all have that. So, so we plant local churches. Why? Because we believe in the family and the gospel being a family and not just in doing this. So we want to grow small. But that's only part one of our strategy. Here's part two. We want to grow small, but we want to build big. Now, what does build big actually mean? We grow small, we create local environments, but we don't wanna just create local environments and walk away. We wanna build big, and what we mean by build big is this. What happens when our small environments come together? That's what we call our unified vision. So we have a local vision of what happens locally in Simpsonville and in Greenville, and then when God opens the door for another location, we champion and believe what God's doing locally. But then when we come together, we are unified and we wanna build big so that when we come together, we can have an impact of what God wants us to be. And so this is a big deal. Now, I want you to, I want you to have a little bit of the history of Renovation Church. We started in a theater in October of 2014. And when we started in the theater, we had absolutely zero resources. It was a massive step of faith. And when we launched in the theater, one of the most beautiful things happened. We had several churches around the area, in the upstate, who came alongside of us and said, we believe in what God is doing at Renovation Church, we wanna help you. So, right down the road from the theater that we started at in Simpsonville, First Baptist of Simpsonville lent us a trailer with speaker equipment and media equipment so that we could have church in the theater, because you can't use the theater stuff, you have to put in your own stuff, we had no money to buy anything and a church five minutes down the road from us said, we're gonna give you the equipment so that you can have kids and teenagers and worship for adults on a Sunday morning. And they, gave, they allowed us to use it for free for months and months and months and months. So a church believed in us and said, we're gonna champion what God's doing in your place. We had another church come alongside of us. We were launching and we didn't even have our 501c3. We didn't have our tax status. You know what they said? They said, you can use our stuff. You can give to our church and all the money that's given to our church is only for you and, and we'll help you until you can get your own stuff. So they allowed their accounting to receive our funds and then they gave us our funds back so that we could do church. A ton of church did that for us. And then... God opened the door for us to have a preschool where we could watch kids. And do you know what happened? A church down the road, this is in Simpsonville, called Bethlehem Baptist, they had an entire wing of a building that they built where they used to have a school, but that school shut down. They weren't using it. And do you know what God did? They came to us and said, are you interested in launching a preschool? We said, we're interested, but we don't know what we can afford. 
So back in 2015, not long after we started, they said, we will, lend, we will lease out this wing of our building for $2,000 a month. And it's this beautiful, massive wing, and we started a preschool. And do you know what we called the preschool? We called it Little Town, because it's at Bethlehem. The little town at Bethlehem. You may not even know we have a preschool. We have a wait list for our preschool, because it's grown and exploded. So we have a preschool in another church's facility. And by the way, that started at the end of 2014, beginning of 2015. They're still only charging us $2,000 a month. And we have a relationship with them. So we have all these churches that have believed and invested in us. We believe with unity that we're simply better together. So we've had these churches invest in us. And since the beginning of Renovation Church, do you know what we believe? We believe this. What God wants to do locally is awesome. But what God wants to do when we come together unified is also awesome. Let me share with you a passage of scripture. This is Jesus. I want you to hear these words because these help determine the direction that we're going. Jesus says in John 17, he says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Now all of them may be one father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. When we pray, the majority of time when we pray, we're coming to God and asking him to meet a need that we have. That is a beautiful aspect of prayer. But I want you to see that Jesus actually prays and asks for something. So how awesome would it be if our prayers were, God, here's the needs that we have, please meet the needs. But more than that, we were also, also saying, God, how can we help answer your prayer request? You are here, we, we give you our prayer requests all the time for you to meet those. Jesus says, may my church be one. And we've grown up in church, haven't we? We've seen church. We compete, fight over who has the whatever. We don't believe in that. We believe in what God is doing in his kingdom. We believe, we champion. And so we thought, as we grow small and we have several different renovation churches, and even though we're, we're the same church, but we're like family, but we're like cousins sometimes, you know what we believe? One of the reasons we did this is because how awesome would it be if our renovation churches loved each other enough to be unified? And then the world that we live in that is divided on everything, saw a church that was unified. And then the world would say, that's what we're missing. Because the spirit that's in the church has to be different from the spirit that's in the world. And so we recognize, wait a second, the gospel needs to be seen, not just heard anymore. The world does not want to hear it. They could care less about it. In fact, if you try and preach the gospel out west or up north, I promise you it's not going to go well. But do you know what cannot be ignored? When it's seen. When people actually demonstrate the love, then Jesus' words come true because it shows the world this is the gospel played out. People actually unified, no longer fighting, but loving each other from different backgrounds and different stories proclaiming the same thing. So we're seeing tinges, uh, moments of this at Renovation Church already. Just a couple of weeks ago when I was here, we prayed over the mission team that went to Honduras we had eight people from Greenville go and seven people from Simpsonville, almost an exact even match. And the people who went on the trips didn't really know each other from both places, but we joined forces together to go overseas to do a common mission. Let me show you some pictures of the mission trip that just happened. And people, what I love about this is this, two churches that can come together for one thing. Let's go to the next one. They're building, by the way, they made those, sorry, they made those cabinets from scratch. You know who, you know who helped lead that? Greenville did. 
It's incredible. Cabinets from scratch. Here the ladies are, they're painting and they did a lot of work. It was a building trip. Go to the next one. The leading an event. By the way, they're watching the kids as women are being invited to be presented the gospel. Women who are, whose lives have been in prostitution, five women gave their lives to Christ at this event that our team helped lead. It's absolutely incredible. And then the last picture. We had some people go down and paint some beautiful murals to remind the women when they come to Honduras, ready? That God has a plan for your life. And ready? He can redeem you. He can transform you. And that what started one way doesn't have to end that way. And here's the thing. We believe as a church in what God is doing locally, but I believe that when we come together, we can do infinitely more together. So as we plant churches, we realize how do we, how do, we do this so that not everyone is siloed and isolated? Well, we want to be unified. That's the heartbeat behind this. Let, let, me, let me tell you, do you know the glue that keeps us all together? The glue is not us. Because listen, we're, you know, those of you who are married know that marriage is a beautiful thing. It's also a hard thing. And, 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 and so w- when we come together in that marriage relationship, we have to understand how, what's the thing that unites in the relationship that when it comes together. I think sometimes we think the thing that unites us is that we have to agree on everything. We don't agree on everything in our marriages. So why would he assume that we have to agree on everything with other people? So what is the thing that unites us? The thing that unites us is a mutual commitment that there is no one better than Jesus. And when you're in a marriage relationship, you make a commitment to love each other, to make a vow to say, this is for life. We're gonna commit to love each other. We may not always agree with each other. We may not even always like each other. But we commit to do this. And in the same way, how do different churches come together? What's the thing that unites us? Well, it's not us, because we're not always, we're not always gonna see eye to eye on everything. You know why? Because we're fallible and we're human. But do you know what we are gonna agree on? We're gonna agree on Jesus, that he's enough. That there is no one better than him. I have lived in a lot of countries. I have been in a lot of places. And Jesus doesn't change in each country that you go to. And any language that you read the Bible in, he's still the same. And so you can have a world full of different people who may view the, how to live life differently from each other, but we can all agree on one thing. Jesus is enough. And there's no one like him. There's a missionary. One of the things that happens in the missionary world is is trying to get the Bible translated into different languages so people can interact with Jesus themselves. And so you have different organizations out there who go into other parts of the world, remote places, and they take God's word and they translate it painstakingly so that people can hear there. And in Nicaragua where we lived, there was a missionary who came down to reach out to the Miskito Indians and they live on the West Coast. You cannot get, Nicaragua is a small country, it's about the size of New York State. You cannot get from the East Coast to the West Coast because there's no roads. You either fly over there or you take boat rides on rivers. I was invited one time and right before I left on the trip, they said we can't go because the river's dried up. It's like a two day boat ride. And so they canceled my trip because we weren't able to go. So this guy, he goes and lives with the Miskito Indians and he's translating the Bible into their native language. And the hard thing is, is he gets to the most well-known passage of scripture, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish. And he gets to that passage and he realizes that in their native language, they don't have a word for love. You have a culture that doesn't have a word for love. And so he's like, well, how how the heck, how am I supposed to translate this? And the closest he could get to explaining love to them was the word 
hurt. That when you have this connection with someone that is so real, you hurt over it. So he takes John 3.16 and he gets to the place and he says, I'm gonna translate. How does he translate? He says this, for God so hurt for the world that he gave his only begotten son. And in some ways I'm like, that is one of the most beautiful translations into a culture that doesn't have a word for love. For God so hurt for the world that what did he do? He sent his son, Jesus. In other words, he sent the solution of all solutions, his only son. And here's the thing about his only son, Jesus is and always will be enough for everybody. And I love it, we we look at this passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 16. It's one that I preached actually in this space before. In Matthew chapter 16, you have a moment where Jesus is asking his disciples and his followers what they think about who he is. And in verse 15, he says this, but what about you? He's asking them who they think he is. What about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now, before this, they said, maybe, hey, you're Peter, or you're, Peter, you're, or you're Elijah, you're you know, John the Baptist, you're one of the Old Testament prophets. We're not sure who you are. And then he, he asked them, and Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Verse 17, Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. It's an incredible moment in the scripture, okay? I wanna give you some context that I think is beautiful. He, Jesus right here, and I can ima- just imagine with me. Just take your imaginations, ready? He's in, this is part is not imaginary, he's in Caesarea Philippi, which is the most northern part that he takes his disciples to. And if you visit Caesarea Philippi today, there's a place known as the gates of hell. It's this giant cave complex that the ancients believed was the very entrance into hell in earth. And they worshiped a God named Pan. And at that place, they didn't just worship Pan and it wasn't just known as the gates of hell. They built several ancient temples to different gods at this location. So here Jesus is, and he's gonna be giving his life. He's gonna die on the cross. He knows this, and he takes his followers, and this is the part I want you to imagine. He's sitting on the side of a hill, and the wind is blowing. And a little bit of music comes in the background, because this is like a good scene, right? And you have this moment where Jesus, this penniless carpenter, is standing on a hillside with his followers looking at him and he says, who do you say that I am? And behind Jesus would be the activity of people going into these massive ornate temples, worshiping other gods. And again, the music, ah, the wind, the hair's blowing a little bit. And Jesus says, well, who do you say that I am? And the hustle and bustle of people making sacrifices to their gods and this massive cave in the background And in the midst of this, Peter stops and he stands up and he says, you are the Messiah, the hope of the world to a penniless carpenter of whom there's not a single temple built anywhere yet. And Jesus looks at him and says, I'm gonna tell you something. You didn't get this from any human point of view. It was my father who told you this. And guess what? 
I'm gonna build my church and not even the gates of hell. And I imagine when he said this, that the disciples, again, the music, ah, they're seeing the gates of hell. And he says, I'm gonna build my church. Where? Right smack there. And not even that's gonna prevent the church from growing. And what they couldn't have imagined in that moment is this, is Jesus dying on a cross. But then three days later, they couldn't have imagined him coming back to life again. And then him going back to Peter and saying, Peter, feed my sheep. Peter, feed my sheep. And do you know what happens? They go out and they begin to preach the gospel. And do you know what happens? If you visit that same place today, all those temples are gone. The cave is still there. But guess what? God's church is in almost every nation in the entire world, all proclaiming one truth. Jesus is enough. There are Christians, uh, uh, someone in our church went to Dubai, her husband was working overseas, and she told me when you go over there, one of the ways that they have church, because you can't have church overtly, is this, they have church in a bus. The bus drives along and it picks up Christians two at, two at a time. They get in the bus, they have their worship service, and then they get off two at a two at a time. And then they worship Jesus in the bus. Guess what? God's church is thriving even there. Do you know where else God's church is thriving? It's thriving in Iran. In the midst of persecution, God's church is thriving. God's church is thriving in other parts of the world. Why? Because of Peter's declaration, Jesus, you are enough for all of us. For God so hurt for the world that he sent the very best of what he had, his only begotten son. So what unites us together, Simpsonville and Greenville and other Christians and other churches around us, you know what unites us together? Is that all of us proclaim the same thing. We may not agree on everything, the color of carpet, how long worship should last. Should we do five songs or eight songs? I went to a church service recently and it was like two and a half hours long. I want you to know it was a beautiful service, but I went away and I said, I'm thankful for what we got going on at Renovation Church. I'm like, God bless them. But I'm like, whew. I, used to, I grew up in church. I've been in long church services a lot of my life. Listen, I'm like, we are not a perfect church, but I love what we got going on here. But you know, I love what God's doing there. The thing that unites us, here's what I want you to see. We are not united because of us, we are united because of Jesus. He's enough. It holds us and binds us together. I have no idea how much time I have left. So, what time is it right now? Oh, I got seven minutes. Okay, good. Uh, 17 minutes? 70 minutes? Thank you. I have seven minutes. All right. So, how are we going to actually have this come together? Well, there's two things that we're doing to build big. The first thing is this. We're building out what we call renovation centric. This is gonna feel informative, but I'm telling you this is a really big deal. So I'm gonna explain it this way. I wanna thank my lovely wife, who this morning I realized I hadn't done this, and I asked her to create this slide like at eight in the morning. So she put this together. Imagine that we plant multiple churches, and allow us, maybe God allows us to have six different renovation churches. And we believe in what God is doing locally at every one of those churches. That's what we call our local thing. And every one of these local churches, they have a clear discipleship pathway and they believe in the church. And that local church community is doing something significant. The question is, how do we actually get these churches to work together? And how do we help these local churches to be effective carriers of the gospel? So we are gonna build out what I just mentioned is Renovation Central. So we can go to the next slide. So Central, we have 
I started to establish this last year. We're building this out this year. It's the piece of the puzzle that is gonna allow for churches to work together. So I'll show you first what we wanna be able to do is create a common neutral ground for churches to collaborate and to work together in what they're doing. But Central actually wants to go and believe in and help build up the local churches. And that is what my role is. I'm less in Simpsonville and I'm more in Central. And I get a chance to come in to champion what our local lead pastors are doing, what God is doing here and what God is doing in Simpsonville. And as God opens doors, my role is to go into these places and to say, I believe in what God is doing there. How can we help you? How can we assist you? In fact, our very heart. So here's how we're gonna build big. We're gonna create environments for God to do something locally, but then create environments for the churches to come together. So here's the deal. You can have a church that can do missions, but doesn't have to, missions, that doesn't have, to have a missions program because our church collectively and unified has a missions program. So we could say we're going on a trip. It's not a burden on the local church anymore to have to organize that or use it because central resources can actually do that. And then we come together and we do things in the community here in Greenville. Instead of one church tackling something, imagine six churches tackling it. So central, what we're doing is actually created to create the space for local churches to actually work together. The heart is to serve the local church. In just a couple of ways how. Resources. Training, systems, processes, and administration. Can I confess something? I am not a systems, process, or administration person. Who's a, who's a, who's a, who's a detail person in here? Just raise your hand. Can I tell you that we love you? And the detail people, here's how it works. I'm a vision person. I'm a direction person. I stress you detail people out of your minds. Because I'll say, this is where we're going. You're like, well, how do we get there? And you're right. So you are... This is why the body of Christ matters. You can't just have one kind of person in the church. You need to have all the people. You need to have the detail people who say, okay, I'm like, hey, let's have a volunteer night where we celebrate all the volunteers. That's my idea. Zero planning or administration. And then you have the administrative person that's like, well, who's going to get the cops? Who's going to get the food? So we need both to come together. And so... I am not this, but we have people who are this. And what we want to do is for our local churches is create these systems in place so that we can help. Here's another one, vision and direction. And when I say that, I mean this. The vision is this, to champion what God is doing in Greenville and to champion what God is doing in Simpsonville and any other door that God opens. Central's vision is to say, what is God doing locally? And then what we want to do is say, what can we do together? That's essentially, and it's not, it's not, the goal, the heartbeat, my heartbeat is this, is to go to Joe and to say, what can I do to help you be better at what God has called you to do? And my heartbeat is to go to Dean over in Simpson, what can I do to help you be better? And then Joe's goal is to help, what is God doing in, in this place? How can we create? And then Joe actually has several hats. He's also our worship in Central. In Central, he's helping create the worship culture for us as a church. So he's still very interested in what God is doing, and what God wants to do through worship at the locations. We're doing this for the benefit of the body of Christ for the church. I wanna show you a passage of scripture here. And it's kind of a cool little passage of scripture, but I want you to see something and it's significant. Matthew, or excuse me, Mark chapter six. It's a, sto it's a story of the feeding of the 5,000. By the way, just a little Bible trivia, a little nugget for you today. The only miracle outside of the resurrection, the only miracle outside of the resurrection that's in all four gospels is this one. So you have the three synoptic, that just being similar, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then you have John, and John is different. Now, one of the reasons why it's believed to be that way is because believe that Matthew, Mark, and Luke start recording Jesus' stuff at the last year of his ministry, 
Whereas John records stories from the previous years of Jesus' ministry. But John is just an awesome, like if, anyway, awesome gospel. They're all awesome. But there's only one story outside of the resurrection that's found in all four gospels. And it's actually the story of the feeding of the 5,000. So this is where we're gonna do it in, in, in Mark chapter six. I don't have time to do a whole long spiel, but here we're gonna dive in in verse 39. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. What, so there's 5,000 men, which would have been women and children there too, so it would have been, some people say, 15 to 20,000 people. By the way, the Bon Secours Wellness Arena, which is a mouthful to say, so the well, seats 15,900 people. So imagine that place full, and they're listening to Jesus all day, and the disciples go to Jesus and say, hey Jesus, it's kinda late in the day. You've been preaching, we've had church, it's been powerful, it's been awesome, but the people are hungry, and it's time to wrap it up, and to send them to go away. That's literally what they go to tell Jesus, and I can only imagine that they pick straws to see who was the one who's gonna tell Jesus to wrap it up. Like, who was the one who got the short straw? Anyway, I imagine it was Peter, because he always shoved his foot in his mouth. So he's like, hey, Jesus, woo, great stuff out there. But they're hungry and tired. You need to send them on their way. Jesus says, you feed them. They're like, what? It would take us all of our year's wages just to feed all these people. That can't, that's impossible. And he says, well, what do you have? Well, there's five loaves and two fish. So they're like, okay. So then that's where we just dive in. So what does Jesus do? Get the people to sit down in their groups. Verse 40. So they sat down in the groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Let me, there's another side note, a little Bible story. You know why we pray before meals? It's not because we're blessing the food. Like, and by the way, I love food. I try and cast the calories out of the donuts that it would taste and have the same health equivalent of, as broccoli. We don't pray over our food. Do you know what we do? We give thanks to God because he provided it. So when we stop and pray, we actually say, God, we recognize that without you, this provision wouldn't be before me. We thank you because, God, you've allowed this to happen. So Jesus stops. He takes it, and you know what he does? He gives thanks to God. So, so when, you, next, when you go to pray for your lunch today after this service, or your brunch, or whatever, however you're gonna roll, it's not just blessing the food. You're saying, okay, God, thank you for this. Jesus does this. Let's keep going. I have no idea where I'm at. Verse 49 or so he gave it. Okay, here it is. So the second half of verse 41. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. I want you to see something else too. And the way this miracle works, you know what he does? He takes the bread and he hands it to the disciples. This is a separate side note I can imagine. Imagine the movie scene again, the wind's blowing. Music. Only five loaves and two fish. The disciples are there. Have you ever dealt with hungry people? You've been grocery shopping when you're hungry? I think I asked this last week. Hungry people are angry people. So if Jesus doesn't come through on this miracle, there is gonna be a crowd of angry people. He takes his stuff. I believe the miracle happens as they, are, they come, they get food, they go, they come back, there's more. It's just a cool little story. You would assume that the food would be already prepared, then they can come get it. I think the miracle happens as they do it. In other words, they don't have it all there. They're like, okay, what's here? Oh, there's enough here? They go, they give it out, they go back, there's more. They go, they give it out, there's more. 
Not there's some warehouse of all the fish that miraculously appeared. I think it happened as it went on, which I believe is how God works sometimes. We want all the stuff provided for us. We want the warehouse full of things so that we're like, we're good. No, no, no. God says, trust me for every little step. For this little step, do this. For this little step, do this. Why? Because he's a provision God. God doesn't want you relying on the provision. He wants you relying on the provider. And there's a massive difference in those two things. So a lot of stories in this one story. That's why I think it's actually in all the gospels. Here's the thing. Before the miracle happened, do you know what had to happen? The people had to be organized. My administrative people in the room, this should be the story for you in the Gospels. The miracle that's in all four Gospels happened because someone was like, let's organize the crap out of this nonsense. And then you have the greatest, one of the greatest miracles in the Gospels happened because someone organized it. So when we talk about Renovation Central, we're talking how do we organize? How do we get this place so that God can then do what only he can do? Last but not least, and then we're done. We're gonna also launch a ministry training school. And I'm so done because I'm like a minute or two over my time. So first thing we're gonna do is we're gonna launch Renovation Central. We're doing that now. We're building out our systems between two churches to help the churches coordinate and work together to love each other and to hopefully facilitate. But we're also gonna do this. Now I wanna show you something. The training school down there, how are we gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna train people to do ministry. How are we gonna get the people? We're gonna get the people from church. So people in our local churches are gonna be like, I think God's asking me to do something with my life. I think God's asking me to do something or whatever. We're gonna have a training school where they're gonna send people to our training school. We're gonna train them and just do our culture, our values, and then you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna plug those same people back into church. So it's gonna be a, a symbiotic relationship. So, ready? We're gonna grow small. We're gonna plant local churches. We're gonna believe in the gospel. We're gonna build big. We're gonna have Renovation Central and then we're gonna launch a school. And if we do these two things, grow small and build big, do you know what we carry through all of this? The name of Jesus that unites us? I believe we can see God do something, something incredible. And guess what? You have a part to play. You don't go to church. You are the church. We are the church. And we can experience and see the gospel play out in ways. Imagine the people who are hungry that if the church came together could help feed. Imagine the mission trips we could do if we came together. Imagine the work we could do in the community if instead of fighting over stupid stuff, we loved each other and John 17 became real. That's what I believe we can experience and that's my hope and prayer. Would you guys pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I do pray. I pray, Lord, that we, we would stop going to church. We would stop making Christianity a spectator sport you would invite us into being your church. You would invite us into this mystery that, that, that this gospel gives of a redeeming, transforming love and that somewhere in this, the creator of everything has a part for us to play. And when we stop going to church, but we actually be the church, we come alive at the knowledge, God, that you have a plan and a purpose for us that you somehow wanna weave us into what you are doing and that we have somewhere in the midst of all of this a role that we can play and that God, that it's significant so that others who are far, who, who are broken, Lord, we're not telling, us, telling them about us. We are broken. We are telling them about what you have done in us and that you are good and that your love is enough that anybody who comes to you can be transformed. 
And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and tongue confess. So I pray that at Renovation Church, that as we grow small and then build big, we would see your kingdom at work and activated in a beautiful and powerful way. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Church, I love you. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at therenovation.church.